Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. Great. I love our scripture this year. Uphold me, Lord, according to your word that I may live. Whenever you walk into this, into this church, you'll see that, you'll see that image. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you want to truly live, allow God's word to uphold you. Because the words of people um, may uphold you, but, may, but only momentarily. Someone can encourage you, but then they're gone. Then you don't see them for, for a time. And then that same person who encouraged you one week may discourage you next week. But the word of the Lord is eternal. The word of the Lord will bring you hope when there is no hope in the words of, of humans. Bring you life where there is no foreseeable life around you. So be encouraged to be upheld by his word that you may live. Part of our, part of our uh, vision this year is, is about living intentionally together now in the kingdom of Christ. Displaying the aspirations and, and the values of the kingdom of God. That's what we want, to, we want to discuss this morning. And I'd love you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. For those of you who don't have, have, have the, um, the paper version, it's up on the screen. Now we pick up the story um, when King David is about to be uh, anointed. He's not the king yet, he's just a shepherd. He's the eighth son of, of Jesse and uh, he's about to be anointed. He's got no idea, he's out there uh, doing his thing, tending his sheep. And King Saul, who God uh, previously uh, uh, anointed as king, uh, disobeyed God and God said, okay, you're no longer my anointed. Interestingly, he's still king, but he's no longer the anointed. And uh, so let's pick it up. Now, what we're going to do is I'm, we're gonna, I'm going to read through it. We're going to stop and I'm going to, to disrupt the word with my wisdom. We're going to disrupt God's word with the wisdom of Josh because, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm paid to do. Now, here we go. You ready? Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Let me just say this before we, before we keep going. How long are you going to mourn over your past experiences? How long are you going to mourn over yesterday? How long are you going to mourn over, over the good old days? Remember the good old days? Remember that one New Year's Eve that you had that was amazing? You've been trying to redo it ever since. You just cannot get there. Remember the good old days when, when, um, you know, the, when you were at your old church and so and so was the pastor and he was amazing and he gave you, a, you know, a cup of tea and a biscuit every week and Pastor Josh gives you nothing, um, except for short blacks, you know, and remember the good old days. Here's the question for you today. How long will you mourn the good old days, church? How long will you mourn the yesterdays? How long will you mourn for the previous strategies of life? You had a strategy that was for yesterday. The strategy for yesterday in Israel was King Saul, but today God has rejected King Saul and he's got a new plan. And he's saying to you today, how long will you mourn for yesterday? And when will you look forward to what God wants to do? Then he says this to Samuel, he says this, fill your horn with oil and go. Fill your horn with oil and go. What does it mean to, you know, God, when, when, when God says to a prophet, fill your horn, he's saying, I'm going to anoint something or someone soon. He's saying, prepare yourself. 
You know, when, when we anoint something, it's, it's consecrated for God. It's, 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 it's now something that is, we're acknowledging that this is the Lord's property. When we ordain someone as a pastor, we anoint them with oil because we're saying, no longer it is them who liveth, but Christ who lives in them. So no longer do we, do we own ourselves, but we give out, we consecrate ourselves. We separate ourselves from our, our own life. We did it this morning. We took our week and we separated ourselves from it. And we said, from this moment on this morning, we, we are consecrating ourselves to hear the word of the Lord. Prepare yourself. Get prepared for God to show you a new direction, a new strategy, a new relationship. A new opportunity. Get prepared for God to show you and then go. And then he says this, Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. I love what God says. He's talking about Israel's king, but what does he say? He says, I have provided myself a king. I have provided myself a king. Whose will are we called to live in? We're called to live in God's will. What was Saul? Saul was the will of the people. If you go back in time, if to, to a few chapters earlier, when we look at where Saul was anointed, the people of Israel, they demanded of God a king because they wanted to be like their neighbours. So God gave Israel a king for themselves and they got Saul. But now what is God doing? I have provided myself a king among his sons. When we demand from God, we get a Saul. When when we seek God's will, we get a David. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I name to you. Now here's the thing with seeking the will of God. God says to, to, to Samuel, he says, go, anoint, fill your horn with oil and go, right? And then Samuel says, but hang on, if I go, the king, if I, if the king finds out, he'll kill me. See, a lot, a lot of times we think that going means, you know, creating a song and dance. Sometimes God wants you to go and remain at the same time. He wants you to remain faithful but seek him in a new way. Seek new direction while you get to say it. Because see, a lot of the times it's not actually about doing something different. God went, he says, the old plan was to have a king. The new plan is to have a king. But one was a king for the people, the other one's a king for God. See, it's the same with your strategy. Your old strategy was a strategy for you. Your new strategy is a strategy to get you into the will of God. Who knows where the safest place on the planet is? The safest place is inside the will of God. Doesn't always mean turning the world upside down. Doesn't mean leaving the community. Doesn't mean going and finding another town to live in another church to go to. When God says go, it actually means go and seek him afresh. See, God said to Samuel, he says, don't worry, stay, still worship, still, you know, still be the prophet of God in Israel, still, you know, sacrifice a heifer and, and, and do that with the people because that's what he says. I'm not changing everything. I'm just changing everything. I'm not changing what everything looks like. I'm just changing what? I'm changing 
the intention of the heart of the king. I'm not saying we're not going to have a king. I'm not saying when you get saved, you need to give up playing football. I'm saying when you, when you, when you get saved, now you play football. Instead of tackling people, you cuddle people. <laughs> we do the same thing. We cuddle them with all of our strength and, and release them onto the ground. With love. It's called the right hand of fellowship. You see, our job is to seek the will of God. And when we find it, we commit ourselves to it. We anoint it. We covenant ourselves to it. Prepare yourself, he says. Fill your horn with oil. What does that mean for us today? It means prepare yourself to commit to the will of God. How do you prepare yourself? You worship. You know his word so that when you hear God, you understand. What does God sound like? When you hear him, he sounds like his word. Do you want to know what God sounds like? Read his word so when he speaks to you, you'll hear him because you'll recognize his voice because you've seen it and heard it before. Verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? It's great, isn't it? You know, when, when people know that God is with you, they tremble before you come. No one trembles around here when I come, so I'm not sure what that means. We had the elephant room and, you know, I thought, oh, people are going to have uh, a bit of a problem disagreeing with the pastor. doesn't seem so. <laughs> so I've been praying that the Lord would be with me so that you would all tremble a lot more in my presence. But Praying. Verse 5, and he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated or prepared Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, Eliab's the oldest son, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. When he saw Eliab, the, the, the strapping, handsome, tall, strong, muscular, eldest son, firstborn of Jesse, he said, surely this is him. It's an amazing to me is that the great prophet of God, Samuel, who people trembled in his presence, thought it's a no-brainer. Here he is. He was still, he was still caught up in the, in the magnificence of Saul himself, the prophet of God. You know, I, I understand when the Bible says we prophesy in part, doesn't it? You know, we see in part because we get, we're so distracted by what's in front of us when we, when God, you know, we don't realize that God's, that we're obsessed with, with what everyone else in the world is obsessed with as well. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Anyone heard that verse before? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 3,000 years ago, it was roughly 1,000 years before Christ that, that um, David was anointed. So 3,000 years we've kind of known this fact, yet... We're still obsessed with the physical structure and appearance of a person. Oh, look at that strapping young man. You're, a, you're going to be a great leader. 
We still think like that, don't we? We still get caught in the, in the, in the outward appearance. We still get caught in it. And for, for 3,000 years, we're still making the same mistake. But the thing that we have is we actually have the hindsight. We know exactly what God said, yet we're still stuck in it. We're still caught in it. And God wants to, he wants us to, he wants us to wake up. And he wants us to look deeper. He wants us to see what God sees. He wants to see the problem with, the problem is, is I want to see a leader immediately. And immediately all I can see is your stature and your beauty. Only God can see the heart, right? Immediately. For us, it takes time to see someone's heart. We can still see it, but you cannot see it immediately. It doesn't, it's not, you know, I love that statement. He wears his heart on his sleeve. It literally doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, we, we actually need to take the time to get to know someone so that we can see their heart. Verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, well, there remains yet the youngest son. And there he is, out there keeping the sheep. Isn't it amazing that, that out of eight sons, Jesse only chose to bring seven? Someone's got to look after things at home. Someone's got to take care of things. So, so he assumes that the smallest, the youngest, the weakest, the ruddiest should be the person who does that. The will of God is so distant from the desires of people that we cannot even see it even when we're living with it. The will of God was living as son number eight in Jesse's house. But not even Jesse could see the will of God living in his household. See, there's a strategy of God. There's an idea of the kingdom of God within you, in your house, in your home, in your thoughts, in your, in your worship, in your job, whatever it is. But you are looking sometimes at the, at the, you're blinded by the great things, the large things, the things that everyone celebrates on earth. And we're, we become blind to the will of God that is within us. Who in your life and what area of your life do you neglect for public display? It's interesting that out of the, out of the eight sons of Jesse, he just, not only did, you know, didn't he acknowledge him as a son, he didn't, and he wouldn't display him to the prophet. We don't know why, but we know that he didn't. Was it simply because someone had to look after the sheep? Didn't they have servants or whatever who could do that sort of thing back then? I don't know. Employees? Were they, were they employees or servants? I'm not sure what they were. You know, they, did he, someone could have done that for him, yet he didn't. He chose his son to do it. What areas of your life haven't you revealed that might just sneakily be the will of God? What ideas have you got that you're not submitting in public? because they don't appear as beautiful or as amazing as other people's ideas. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now David, he was ruddy, which means he, he had a reddish hue, reddish hair, reddish hue. 
He had bright eyes. He had a piercing look. And he was handsome, much like myself. <laughs> and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. What a great story. Isn't it amazing? You can read it. I had to reduce my interruptions because there's so many opportunities just to see the greatness of God intervening through one small story. So just a few verses of, of not David being king, you know, you know, not David, um, you know, fighting anyone, fighting life, winning anything. All he did was turn up. It was actually less about David, this, this story and more about Samuel. See, God is saying to you, prepare yourself. Fill your horn with oil. Prepare yourself so that when you, you, when the, when the will of God, when the strategy of heaven, is in front of you, you can recognize it, one, and you can commit to it, two. And this is the battle that we face in life. Sometimes, you know, we, we, uh, one, we, we don't know what God sounds like, so when we see the will of God, we don't actually recognize it. Jesse didn't recognize it in his own family. Samuel, the prophet of God, didn't even recognize it. So we need to stay close to God. We need to, we need to hear his word so that when we, when we do see it, you know, we can compare it to God. God spoke directly to Samuel, but for us, we go, okay, when we see something, we can test it in God's word. No, that's not it. It looks good. It looks beautiful. It looks like a great strategy, but no, it's not the will of God. And we keep going through the strategies and then we get to one. We get to a David. Where's, we go, okay, there's no more strategies. I don't even know. Some of you are saying, I don't know what to do in my life. I have no purpose. I have no hope. Someone, something, a strategy is in or around your life somewhere that is hidden, that you haven't allowed to come to the surface, that you haven't allowed to be filtered in God's word because when we filter God's will through God's word, guess what? We find agreement. When we find agreement, we need to commit ourselves to it. Don't despise the small things. The youth, the elderly, the weak, the sick, the outcast. Your weird talents. Some of you have got some really weird talents that aren't weird. They're actually God's will for you. First Corinthians one twenty seven it says this it says but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. David put to shame Goliath with a little pebble. Something is in you that God wants to use. Something is around you. Is a strategy close to you that God wants you to commit to. That's going to bring Him glory. It's not going to be what you think it is. It's not going to be what's visibly exciting, what's visibly big, what's visibly beautiful necessarily. It's going to be whatever he wants it to be. You need to keep seeking. You need to keep, you need to keep seeking and then submitting what you're seeking to the, to the word of God. And what you will find is eventually you'll discover a pathway that is the will of God. And when you do, commit your life to it. Anoint it. Consecrate it. Walk in it. What a great piece of history. 
You know, if God wants to, I believe he wants us to, to, to get a revelation today of this. He wants us to get this revelation that if we'll allow it, it will revolutionise our lives. We'll stop looking at, at the, the, the big and the beautiful and the grandness that the world is obsessed with. And then we'll submit ourselves to God. We'll say, and we'll follow the pathway of God. And guess what? What will happen? God will be glorified and his will will be done. And when God's will's done, guess what? People get saved, they get free, they get healed, they get delivered and they have eternal life. I don't want to gain the whole world and then lose my soul. Worse again, I don't want to gain the whole world and my children lose their souls. I want to figure out a world that, a, a, a world and a strategy that I can gain more of God and others can be blessed through it. Here it is. Here's the statement. Let your content be your art. Let the contents of what's in you be your art. Don't make your first impression the best impression. Don't make your outward appearance the best thing about you. It may be amazing. I've struggled with this because my outward appearance is so amazing. People struggle to get past it. Sometimes you've got to dull it down so that people can discover the beauty and the art that is within you. God is doing business with your heart. The most beautiful thing about you is your heart if you'll allow him to transform it, to change it, to take it from being hard heart to a soft, fleshy heart. Because when you've got a soft, fleshy heart, God can use it. He can flow through it. When you've got a hard heart, God tends to bounce off it. Let your content be your art. The world is obsessed with external beauty. God is obsessed with internal beauty. He wants to see. Well, he does. He just sees it. We need to be committed to looking at it in each other. We need to look at the, the beauty that is within people. We need to look past whatever's on the external. Sometimes the, 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 here's the crazy thing about life. If someone's too good looking, like Christian, we will not, we will not build a relationship with him because he's just too, we're, 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 we don't feel worthy enough to be in his presence. So we don't, we don't go there. If someone is, is, whose life is too messy or their, you know, their appearance is, is not, we won't go there because we're afraid of their outward appearance. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, we won't know what to do. So, but on both extremes, we don't get to know people. God wants us to, to, to get to know people. He wants us to get beyond the external. Because what happens is when we get beyond the external, we get to the truth. We get to the substance. And then we get to see the beauty or not. Because not everyone's internal substance is beautiful. But it's who they are. Seven brothers had to pass before one that had the hidden art came through. I love the story of our new Prime Minister. Can you imagine Scott Morrison last year? He's the treasurer, you know what I mean? He's delivering delivering budgets and doing his thing, just getting on with life. And then all of this squabble happens in his party and there's people with heavy ambition trying to take over and bring their, their agenda here and there. And all of a sudden, here he is, not even in the fight, and he's prime minister all of a sudden. How does that happen? Because God recognises the substance of someone, I believe. I don't know, I can't prove that, but I believe that God recognised the substance, that he'd prepared himself. 
He'd been worshipping. He'd been praying. He'd been speaking in tongues. He'd been studying the economy. Been studying border security, been studying welfare. He's been on all of these different things and, and didn't have an agenda for the top job that we know of. But then all of a sudden he got thrust into it. I love that. The old, what's the old saying of uh, Shakespeare? Some are born great. Some acquire greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them. Prepare yourself. Fill your horn with oil so when greatness is thrust upon you, you're ready for it. No one was expecting Scott Morrison to campaign like he did. He came out like a president. Who, where did this guy come from? God says, fill your horn with oil. Prepare yourself. And when greatness is thrust upon you, in other words, when God's will is before you, you will be able to commit yourself to it. You will not miss a beat because you know what God sounds like and you will follow him to the letter. And then great things will happen. Fill your horn with oil and go. Sometimes we're so distracted by what appears amazing that we miss what actually is amazing. There's stories in this church. There's stories in the lives of the people in this church that are truly amazing. When you get to know each other, when you step out of your genre, you know, if you step out of your demographic for just a few moments and ask someone their story, tell someone, tell someone, just say, look, I don't even know you, but tell me your story. I want to know your story. Guess what? You're going to hear some grand tales of adventure. Some things that are going to inspire you and things that are going to scare you straight. Sometimes we need just as many good uh, negative role models as positive role models. But when we dig deep enough, we find out the story. We see what someone's negative story did that, that, that disrupted their lives. And when we discover it, we go, wow, I've been messing with this stuff. I've been messing with this stuff. And there's the, there's the end of what I've been mucking around with. Get to know these amazing people and live intentionally together now. How do we do that? We live intentionally together now in the kingdom of Christ by digging deep. Let me say this statement to you. I need to have a willingness to let you know me as I really am. Why? Because it's a sure sign that I care about you and that I want you to accept me. See, the problem with digging for other people's hearts is you need to be truthful about your own. This is the battle in the community of church. This is the battle when Kristen says, invite someone over for dinner, you know, what you've got to do then is you've actually got to be honest about yourself. You've got to actually be, reveal your own heart, which is a scary thing to do. Because sometimes you're not happy with your art. I'm still working on my art before I want to release it to the public. Guess what? You'll never be happy. Talk to any artist. Are they ever happy? They're never happy. They don't even want it. They do a commission piece and the people who, who paid for the commission love it, but the artist doesn't want to give it to them because they're just not happy with it. This is your heart. This is the internals of you. You will never be happy. So just let it out anyway. Let it out anyway and let others decide the beauty of your art. And if they don't like it, they obviously appreciate different genres than you do. Someone will appreciate it. 
And I need a willingness to know you in order to accept you more deeply. It says the same thing, doesn't it? It's pretty risky. And we spell risk F-A-I-T-H. We've got to take the risk. Be true to ourselves. And how are we true to ourselves? By being ourselves, by letting the art that is in us out of us. Do you know what I love about David? He's anointed, but it's actually another 15 years before he actually sits on the throne. See, sometimes when we, you know, when we, 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 we discover the pathway of God, we want to step into it straight away. See, the thing, difference between, um, between David and, and our prime minister is David wasn't prepared then. He was the anointed. God anointed him and then he got prepared. Sometimes you don't know when it's going to come. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you, you are born great and then you've got to grow a character. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you are, you earn it over time and people gradually recognize it in you. But then sometimes you've been preparing your whole life and greatness is thrust upon you. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we do know through reading God's word and understanding that it never happens the same way twice. So don't look at David's story and think it's your story. Don't look at Samuel's story and think it's your story. Look at God and understand that surrendering to him allows your story to become whatever he wants it to become. And that's where the hope is. Not in trying to relive that one New Year's Eve that you had back in 1987 that was amazing. Not trying to relive, you know... Whoever your hero in the faith story is, trying to read, you know, not trying to imitate someone else's, um, someone else's story of evangelism or healing or salvation or preaching, allowing God to do business with your heart and then allow your heart to be revealed. That's how we'll change the world. See, we need a relational desire that is greater than our desire for protection or for well-being. See, most of us, we don't, we don't seek God relationally. We seek God for his capacity. Lord, save me, heal me, rescue me, make me rich, give me a husband, give me a wife, increase my bank account. Lord, in Jesus' name, I declare it. Or we could just seek God. Seek God so that we know what he sounds like. So that when we see his will, we can commit ourselves to it. So that we don't get distracted by the Eliabs, by the big, beautiful, handsome ones. We don't get distracted by the, by the, the magnificence that the world worships. We get committed to the pathway of God. And when we walk in it, his will is done. And when his will is done, guess what? People get saved. They get healed, they get delivered, they get set free. Most of all, they get to know God. So like the great prophet says, we don't glory in our riches, we don't glory in our strength. We don't glory in anything that we have, we glory simply in the fact that we know him. So much hope in God, isn't there? We've just got to take the risk of allowing his hope to permeate through our lives. See, it's very difficult to gain the hope of God while we're seeking the protection and the and the the well-being that He's that He gives. He doesn't say, you know, He doesn't say, seek first, you know, all of these things, and I'll add to you my kingdom. 
He says, seek first the kingdom and all these things I will add to you. We've said this before, this year God is calling us to a new transparency where we can be honest about our weakness because it points to God's redemption. And we can be honest about our strengths because we point them to God's glory. Let me finish with Tolstoy, who's a bit of an odd bod in the faith, but he, he wrote in a very interesting version of the Lord's Prayer. And he said this, he said, Our Father, without beginning and without end, like heaven, may your being only be holy. May power be only yours, so that your will will be done without beginning and without end on earth. Give me food of life in the present. Smooth out my former mistakes and wipe them away even as I do so with all the mistakes of my brothers that I may not fall into temptation and may be saved from evil because yours is the power and the might and yours is the judgment. It's an interesting way, isn't it? It's an interesting shift from praying uh, that the Lord would bless me to that the Lord would be blessed. Here's the thing. Are you willing to pray that, Lord, do not give me anything that I will use for my own glory? Well, don't heal me unless I bring, unless I use that healing for your glory. Don't give me riches, Lord, if I'm going to just take them and use them for myself. Can you imagine praying that prayer? Lord, may only, may only you be holy. Bible says, be holy for I am holy. But we, we don't want to, we, we can only be holy when we know him. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I love Jesus' prayer in John 17. Let me finish with these words. Jesus says this. He says in his prayer, I have loved them as you have loved me. Now, and this is an impossible statement for me, but I, my dream is that when I leave this planet and I see God, I can honestly say to him that I have loved them the way you have loved me. Can you imagine being able to say that? So many things that we celebrate about people's lives, what they've done, what they've achieved, what they've walked in, what they've built, what they've climbed. Imagine if we could say, I have loved them as much as you have loved me. The only way that you can do that is by allowing people to see your heart and see the art that is within you. Church, let your content be your art. Let your content be your art. Don't longer let anyone around you's external be their art. Dig deeper. Go up to the beautiful. Go up to the broken and say, tell me your story. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And in that, we truly see those, that scripture, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. We don't love people's outward appearance. We love the art that is in their contents. Uphold us, Lord, by your word that we may live. Father, I just ask that you'll bless every heart in this house today, that you would strengthen them, 
in your will and in your ways. Lord, we want to seek you. Where we cannot, when we don't have the strength to seek you, Father, we ask that you would help us to seek you afresh. Help us to see you and hear you in your word so that when we hear your will, we may acknowledge it and we may commit ourselves to it. Help us to prepare to fill our horns with oil today so that when we go, we can be prepared for your will to be thrust upon us and we accept it and walk in it and know it. Bless your people today, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, bless them so that they can be a blessing. Don't bless us for our sake, Lord. Bless us for your sake. Don't strengthen us for our sake, Lord. Strengthen us so that we can walk according to your will and your ways. Don't heal us for our well-being, Lord. Hear us so that you can be glorified. We worship you in your house. We honour you in your house. And we're so thankful. We're so humbled that we call ourselves the children of the Almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.